This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello and welcome to Talking Flutes Extra with me, Jean-Paul Wright. As the memories of our northern hemisphere summer fades into the distance, I'd like to reinvigorate you today with a beautiful flute player and genuinely nice guy who I first had the privilege of meeting many years ago in London. Irish flutist, flute player, flautist, whatever you'd like to call a flute player, Niall O'Riordan enjoys an international career as a soloist and teacher. He performs regularly around the world, well, we could, when we weren't in Covid, that is, with pianist Anne Marshall, and they are a beautiful duo together. He's an experienced and passionate teacher, and a certified Feldenkrais method practitioner, and uses the method to help musicians reach their potential by learning about their functioning and how to act efficiently. Now this is really important and we're going to explore this later. He has taught Feldenkrais classes at the famous Galway International Flute Festival and has published two Feldenkrais audio learning programs for flutists. And again, we'll chat about that later. He is recognised for his completely holistic approach to flute playing and teaching, drawing inspiration from psychology, NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming, yoga, metaphysics and visualisation. Welcome, Niall, to the Talking Flutes Extra podcast this week. Hi. Hey JP, really, really good to be here and thanks for having me on. Well, as I said to you, I didn't think you realised, but I think you were number three or four of the original podcast when we started it. And we're on 170, this will be probably 180 when it goes out. That was a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you haven't changed. I've got a hell of a lot more lines and bags under the eyes than you. Um, I have a few, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> So before we get into the juicy bits of talking about your passion for the holistic approach to flute playing, when did you become interested in the flutes and what was the driver behind you making a career out of it? Well, I went to a really great primary school in Ireland um, and the teacher there, his name was Mr. Clifford, if any of my friends are listening in my class, uh, he's a really fantastic um, teacher who had a school band. And this band was like 200 pieces of like young kids all playing different instruments. And so part of our education was everyone in the school plays an instrument. So we start in tin whistles and you kind of go on. I could tell you loads of funny stories about it. We had like special, it was so kind of, um, I suppose the school was held in such high esteem for its music. Like we had a special uniform just for the night of the Corella which was um, where we played in the City Hall and all the other schools. It's kind of like a showcase. But, you know, you'd have other schools kind of, you know, they'd have maybe, you know, five people doing a bit of drama or a bit of music. And then it's like, our school was called Scalisagon. And it was like, we had a certain tune and we all marched on stage, like 200 of us in lines and then everyone turning at the same time. So, yeah, it was really, that was, so that was the start uh, of it, really. And I played the tin whistle. Funny enough, I started the tin whistle and I realised um, 
on the night of one of the first performances that I had my hands around the wrong way compared to everyone else. And I was on stage <laughs> going, oh my God, I'm doing it all wrong. And nobody picked up on it until then, but I was able to kind of play away. Um, so that got me started. And then um, there was a guy, the first time I saw the flute, there was a guy in a much older year than me uh, played, like in Ireland, we called, uh, you know, our, the flute that I play now, the concert flute because we call Tin Whistles flutes as well. Yeah, and I saw him playing that, and um, there was one day I um, I was in my going to band, and I was like, oh, what's that? And he was like, oh, I go, go and play in the Butter Exchange band. Um, it was a brass and reed band, and my dad went and inquired about it. And anyway, to make a long story short, I started playing the trumpet. Um, loved it. This this was a marching band and we basically um like we're all the lessons are provi- provided for free anyone can come and turn up and learn an instrument um and they were they're still going i think i don't know um how they've kind of managed through the years they were very they had a huge sense of pride about accepting money from the government they always wanted to be self sufficient and i think some of the other bands who did similar things kind of excelled because you know they took kind of donations from the government and stuff um and anyway like my brother started playing clarinet and my dad actually i think there was one day i borrowed a flute head joint took it home sellotaped it to my brother's clarinet thing and i was playing it my dad was like do you just want me to speak to the flute teacher (laughs) so um, i was like yeah yeah okay and my parents were great they um like they supported whatever I wanted to do, especially with music. So I just um, started playing the flute and I just progressed really, really, really quickly. Um, the teacher was Veronica Lynch. Um, and uh, eventually I started taking lessons with her husband, who was in the army band, uh, Mick Lynch. He was a, a clarinet player, um, but very, very good musician. And um, so I suppose... That's kind of the, 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 the early stages. I got, I was too old to get accepted into the Cork School of Music. Um, and my dad went down every Friday and pestered him. Just literally, like, they were like, no, he's too old. And he was like, is there any way we can get him in, basically? And he annoyed him so much. They gave me a place in the um, flute choir. And it was a flute technique class taught by Evelyn Grant in the Cork School of Music. And, um, then I got to know Evelyn and he pestered Evelyn. He would go and wait after the class and he was like, oh, how's he getting on? You know, and Evelyn was like, well, let me, we'll pull a few strings and we'll get him. She was like, I'd like to teach him next year. We'll uh, find a way. So then I started learning with Evelyn and she was like a really, really good teacher. There was a lot, because I progressed so quickly, I had a lot of really bad habits. Um, I don't think my tone was great at all um, back then. And... Um, yeah, so and then I um, kind of went through the school of music. I got scholarships through then the rest of my kind of education there, and then went and went on and did my degree with the same teacher, Evelyn Grant. Um, but I suppose actually, like, kind of what kept me going the whole time was, and I'm, I'm sure we'll probably talk about this at some point, was along the time when I was in the band and having lessons with Veronica. Um, I was just fascinated with James Galway. You know, it's like I had all I had. I had an album. It's funny. Sometimes I hear al- I had one album where he plays the. 
Um, it's a Telemann duo with oboe. Um, there's the Bach E major, and there's something else on it. But actually, I, I listen to it every night going to bed. Um, so I always kind of had that kind of sound and that sense of musicality in my ear. And it's even funny, like sometimes I'll hear, like my dad would buy records um, every Friday. He'd go into one of the secondhand shops and the guy in there would keep any flute records that came in for me. So um, he would uh, go in and just go, do you, know, do, do you have anything for my son? So my dad every Friday would come home with some kind of record. But it's funny because now anytime I listen to some of these recordings, some of the records had kind of skips in them. And when I listen to, say, showpieces, uh, James Gold's showpieces, it'll come to a point where I'm like, oh, that's where the skip was in my record, you know. And just <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's what got me into it, you know. And then, you know, through, through the rest of my kind of learning um, in school music and all of that, um, he, you know, the, he, he was the main kind of source of inspiration, really. So in some ways you could say I'm playing the flute also kind of because of him. And, you know, when I, when I heard what can, how the flute can sound, um, you know, that really inspired me. You were also awarded the Rising Star on one of the early courses, uh, uh, Jimmy's courses in Switzerland, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was funny. Like I, the first year I went on that course, I cried every day on the phone to my partner Val because everybody like this is going back maybe 11 years or so I mean everybody was so good and I kind of um it was a, it was a strange kind of time in my life really because like I know you um through um at the time I worked in All Flutes Plus yes. um and um I loved working there but I knew I needed to be playing and I knew I needed to be teaching so um I went through a period of time of going, okay, I really want to get my playing in shape. And um, a few of my other friends were like, oh, you, you know, you should go to Switzerland. So I spent a year, um, I mean, practicing my scales ridiculously. I mean, every day, hours and hours and hours of scales. And my playing improved loads. And then I went to... Um, I went to Switzerland, and if, if I'm really honest, and I think it's good to be honest about these things, I think I had a bit of an ego. I think I kind of was like, oh, I'm going to really kind of show him how good I am. And I got there, and I was like, oh, my God, uh, no. Like, okay, I play well, but all of these other people, you know, I mean, fantastic players. So, and I always kind of maintain with that course, and this is only my, my opinion, um, I'll often notice, you know, the people who come back the second year, they'll benefit the most from it. So you'll either go and it'll damage your ego because there'll always be somebody better than you. In, in that kind of context, you know, you know, you'll have a 13-year-old playing Rodrigo or something, you know, like there's always going to be something to make you go, oh, wow, you know. Um, and I always kind of notice this, the people who come back for the second and third years, who kind of, you know, it might be a little destabilizing the first year to hear how good everyone is. But then, like, I remember the second, uh, and, you know, he was amazing with the lessons, like the lessons I had then, he, he told me exactly what I needed to do. But what was really encouraging, the following year I did go back, and the first comment he said, he was like, wow, you've been really working at this, haven't you? Because I just did everything he said. And the fact that he heard, he was like, oh, you've been really, really working on this. And, you know, I kept doing it. And then um, it was in 2014, I was awarded the Rising Star. 
um, which is a real honor, you know, it's like you're like, it, it goes from, you know, this kind of, um, I don't know, young boy in Cork City, you know, kind of listening to records of your hero to, you know, having lessons with him, but then him also acknowledging you as, you know, um, uh, a rising star or somebody to, to be commended on the course. Um, and what was great about that actually as well was I was given um, or awarded a 14-carat uh, gold Nagahara head joint, um, which um, is fantastic. It, that's like what I play on at the moment now. So, yeah. And then to be invited back to teach. And, you know, I mean, that, that from Sir James is the ultimate honour. Uh, not only as a person, but as a musician. And yeah, you can get wonderful musicians, but he wouldn't necessarily invite wonderful musicians back to teach. You've got to have his respect as a human being. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I, I think I do. Like he, he cares so much about everyone that he teaches, really, and particularly the people who've been going for a long, um, you know, like I've been part of this course for you know, I've been part of this course for kind of 10 years or so, or probably longer, maybe 11. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a real honour. And um, I've kind of taken his teaching, the way he plays the flute and kind of, you know, made it fit me and kind of, I suppose in my teaching, there's always, you can't kind of ignore what you kind of learn from your teacher, but then you kind of also develop it and adapt it. And so for me, the Feldenkrais method, for instance, has really helped me kind of solidify some of the kind of things I've learned, say maybe with Sir James, and I might actually explain it in a different way from a Feldenkrais perspective, maybe if it's something to do with breathing or something to do with hand positions or, you know, a lot of people get kind of discomfort in shoulders or whatever. So, yeah. So let's move on to Feldenkrais. It was a natural segue that you just introduced there. <laughs> and for our <laughs> listeners who may, know, may not know what this method is, can you explain its application? Um, yeah, I can. It Feldenkrais is a difficult thing to describe. It's like I always say to people, it's like trying to describe to somebody um, what chocolate tastes like. In order to <laughs> describe it, but actually for Feldenkrais, really, you need to, um, you know, do a lesson um, or really experience it. Like Feldenkrais, he was um, an engineer and he was a physicist. Uh, he, was by, he was born in 1904 and he died in 1984. And he was, um, he was very interested in human potential. Um, I think one of the things that kind of led him to his uh, body of work was, um, just like a lot of people in the, the, who work in these fields, um, he injured himself, he injured his knee playing soccer. And he, um, you know, there was uh, um, operations or surgery on the cards. And then he started applying his kind of uh, his knowledge of engineering, you know, and the, uh, you can definitely look at a human structure from a movement point of view, you know, uh, from an engineering point of view. And uh, so he um, managed to heal his, heal his knee. He never um, got, um, never had surgery as far as I'm aware. And um, he started to um, kind of start developing, he got interested in judo and um, self-defense one of his very early books was on self-defense actually um and even in that you can see um, you know if you think of self-defense really what is it or you know in some of these martial arts it's about acting with efficiency 
and um, how being able to use ourselves maybe in self-defense to maybe um, disarm the person who's you know attacking you or whatever like that um, and very much in the martial arts you know you, you might know yourself is that um, often you know it's better not rather than kind of fighting with the per what the person is kind of coming towards you it is you kind of take it mold it and turn it against them kind of so to speak you blend with what they're doing already and he yeah so then he got very very into judo he was the first person to um Professor uh, Kano, I think, wanted to open a, a judo dojo in Paris, and um, he, Feldenkrais, was one of the first people to bring kind of judo to the West. So there, there's a, but I think what happened to him then um, was he started to think that this work, particularly the floor work in judo, how much it's part of kind of mature um, human learning. Um, he like the method is about learning but learning to act efficiently you know we don't really like when we learn to move we learn kind of organically you know in our early years it's trial and experiment and very often then the ways we learn how to move let's just keep it in the movement context although movement and thinking um, they're all so connected we there's a point then where we kind of develop habits of movement in the world that could be really helpful for us but actually um he, i suppose his method is he kind of you could kind of say it's more you could maybe say more mature learning as we go back and revisit like so a lot of his method um involves um, movements that you might recognize from kind of child development so we kind of go back and kind of examine our movement patterns and through either working with um, a practitioner um, who will move the um, student uh, with their hands or in a group class, you just move yourself. And by the act of being led through a guided uh, kind of lesson, um, you encounter difficulties where it's left up to you to, oh, how, how, do, how do I figure this out, you know? And through that, there's a kind of a very kind of deep learning about how we move takes place. Um, and that's very different from saying, oh, I don't know, um, when I, I'm just trying to think, uh, you know, taking your, when you take your arm above your head, it might be more useful to take your head through the midline, like through um, like the direction of your nose or something like that. that. That's fine. That's a theory. But maybe doing a lesson that really illustrates that, that you go, wow. It's not something that you've been told. It's something you've experienced and you go, wow, that actually um, does make sense to move like that. So how can it benefit? Like the, the method itself um, is for everybody. We all can kind of continue to learn how to kind of act efficiently in the world. Um, and by act, I mean just our movement habits. Like a lot of us, move in ways that actually causes pain and discomfort um, some of our movement habits you, some people could even argue all of our movement habits are also you know interconnected with our emotional states which is again kind of reflective of how we kind of interact with the world anybody can really really benefit from the method from a musical musician's point of view there's a number of levels of why it might be effective, um, effective for a musician. Like one is um, the very simple thing that musicians get injured all the time. The reason 
musicians get injured, we could say, is that they're moving or doing things in an unconscious way, in a way that they don't realize they're even doing it, that's causing them pain. And the method itself helps students to identify their movement habits and notice, find alternatives. So notice what's causing you the pain or the discomfort. Um, you know, and it could be, you know, for flute, we were talking about flute players here. So, you know, it could be the way a flute player might have their shoulders organized over their chest. Like a very common thing is for somebody to pull back the right shoulder quite a lot. And then there's a big kind of turn in the neck. So it's great for injury. And actually a lot of people come to the method through having some kind of in injury. But actually, in some ways, that's only the tip of the iceberg of what it can offer. Because we can always act more efficiently and more economically with what we're doing playing the instrument you know so we start learning um about uh kind of developing our own sensitivities to our own bodies and then kind of learning um about um you know whatever you want to do in the music how what's the most efficient way of doing this and what what way shall i breed what way um what do i need to be doing with my fingers for instance you know comes back to kind of Sir James quite a lot. He always talks about like not hitting the keys, you know, like you don't have to take your fingers really, really high above the keys. Um, it can be really helpful for people who experience uh, um, some kind of um, kind of stage uh, anxiety or performance anxiety. I think the uh, flip side of that, I think, is always to look at it, you know, you, you'll know this from NLP, which is kind of reframing it, really moving towards confidence rather than away from anxiety, um, which is helpful. But another part of the method that I think I'm getting much more interested in at the moment, because it's quite fascinating, um, is how, um, so it, first of all, the method is taught uh, through uh, working with a person's nervous system. So um, it's a method on learning to learn, and there's some principles in how we kind of use um, uh, how we approach lessons. But uh, the the main thing really is, and we, we chatted about this earlier about neuroplasticity. Like first of all, Feldenkrais, the idea that the brain is plastic and um, kind of uh, it can adapt much later into life than we originally thought, and you know, there's all of these studies of the brain, you know, people with um, severe injuries and the brain taking over. Uh, maybe they may have had a brain injury or something like that, and other parts of the brain taking over function uh, of bodily um, like areas of uh, that kind of control movement and stuff like that. So the Feldenkrais method itself is um, it's a method of learning to learn. Um, so in the um, in a lesson, it really is working with your own nervous system how your own brain and nervous system organizes your movements and there's uh, there's come there's some kind of fascinating uh, kind of strategies that really work that i employ uh we can talk about it later if you like about like how to practice efficiently it's it's um the feldenkrais lesson te teaches you really the approach to yourself teaches you how to approach yourself in the practice room as well we're working with the nervous system 
a very simplified way of kind of looking at the human nervous system is um, we have the sympathetic part of the nervous system and the parasympathetic. The sympathetic um, is kind of responsible for fight or flight and you know that's when we get a lot of adrenaline and it's actually really kind of helpful. If there's a flood of adrenaline in the system and um, that's when it can become a little bit problematic and the, the method generally most of the time most lessons help us you know, we need to be able to navigate between both parts of the nervous system. So the most lessons bring us into more of a parasympathetic state. So it's very good for helping people who deal with anxiety and kind of issues around that as well. So it's probably, I don't know, does that answer your questions about uh, the method? Oh, absolutely, Niall. But I remember, and it goes, it's going back a long, long time. You were doing a class in West London. And yeah. there was a woman that was playing for you and she was playing and you went and just sort of changed the very gently changed her shoulders and the way she was standing. And I could hear the difference in her tone just yeah. by you very gently doing something to her, something to her head or her neck. I can't remember what it was, but you completely changed how she played just very, 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 very gently. Yeah. And funny enough, you know, this, this gets into very, uh, um, I would say that I didn't do that. My hands gave her awareness of what she was doing and her nervous system, her, her brain then was like, oh, hang on a second. Like it's it, so the message is about one, one part of his the teaching the group classes is called awareness through movement. But the method is about developing awareness. So I uh-huh. don't remember the situation, but I will guess that me seeing this person play um and it's very i use this an awful lot um in my teaching like uh, hands-on work um you know i probably saw oh they're doing something with their shoulder girdle they're doing something with their back that isn't helpful and you do develop a kind of a sixth sense um i think it's by you you work so much with people physically that when you see somebody playing you kind of go i know what's going on there for them something to do with the chest or shoulders and my hands in that situation then I'm having a conversation with her you know with her nervous system going hey do you know you're doing that and then her brain will go oh I didn't know I'm doing that Uh, I'm going to stop doing that then when she stops doing that or whatever something can kind of change in sound but I I tell people about this story I've I've told them loads and loads of times over the years because the sound was sort of radically different you know she'd been practicing she was an older student she'd been practicing yeah. how and she uh, she didn't notice any any negativity in her playing and then suddenly you as you say you, whatever you were doing you're guiding her or getting her aware of what she was doing and how she had to change this sound came out and I saw her face light up as if wow but you didn't yeah. stop her playing you just let her carry on playing and it was though she was just enjoying the moment. Yeah, it, it happens a lot. Um, if I'm honest, um, doing this kind of work or working holistically with a person, and you know, holistically, like I know you're very, you know, into the holistic side of things with um, NLP and, um, and meditation and stuff like that. But I kind of find over the years teaching that, um, particularly, I have my own tricks. I kind of call them in a masterclass. My first principle um, when I'm teaching people is most people need permission. Well, no, not that they need, but if you want to help somebody improve, very often 
students just need permission to play well. They, like um, the old way of teaching is um, has very much been focusing on what's wrong. Um, and I, you know, I, I think there's value in that. But particularly in a masterclass situation, normally a person has prepared um, enough of the piece to have all these components together. You want to get them to the next level. You know, and I use loads of principles from, you know, uh, NLP when I teach. Like I'm not a trained practitioner, but that doesn't stop me using things like, you know, timeline things. You know, you say to someone, OK, OK, you're playing like this right now. Where in the room would be in five years time? And you walk them to five, you, five years' time and they, uh, you talk them into what's happening in their life. You get them to play. Can you, and I always use the word, can you demonstrate how you play now? And they'd play 10 times better after five years of practice. But I'm like, oh, hang on a second. You know, it's still you playing. It's just we're using a tool to help you um, just uncover something that's always within you. And I find all of these things, like the Feldenkrais method helps us access this potential we have um nlp and there's lot, lots of things in like in my early days what started me interested in all of this was yoga and i still you know i still have yoga and a meditation practice um and we were kind of talking um maybe maybe just me but um i kind of remember back and going back around 18 years ago in london there was very little of this holistic ways of kind of approaching music making and i remember i did um uh, I, I did a workshop uh, at the, one of the BFS conventions probably around maybe 16, 17 years ago and I called it flute yoga and it was very simple it was, um, and listeners can try this out playing the flute in um, yoga postures so those of you uh, who they did, I had more to it than that I, I kind of did things with um how resonant resonances can be kind of found in the body and stuff like that. But um, the main principle was on the listeners who practice yoga, like try playing your flute in warrior posture or try playing your flute in uh, the, um, yeah, like or try playing your flute in tree, which would be just standing on one leg, if you think uh, Jethro Tull kind of thing. But it does, like, you're, what you're doing there is you're, you're giving the nervous system sensory information. Um, and because of this new, the, 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 when we become very habitual, we uh, become very habitual in the way we stand, the way we're holding the instrument, and the nervous system isn't really being invited to kind of wake up and maybe pay attention and uh, kind of learn. And suddenly if you throw something unusual in the mix, like getting a student to stand on one leg, um, you know, getting people to uh, stand, a good one is um, awkward pose, ukatasana, down, so you're kind of almost in a squat. Um, it, it changes. And the interesting thing I find is... There's a quality that comes in when you do these things, whether it's this timeline thing with NLP or some of those things, yoga postures or using something Feldenkrais related. When the student kind of plays, there is a similar quality becomes present in the sound that's universal for everyone. Now, I'm not saying that the sound is the same for everyone. It's not. But there's a portion of the sound or there's a core to the sound that I kind of go oh here we are we got it again 
you know this is the same i know what this is you know and it's if people are trying it out trying it out at home you see yourself there's a resonance that comes into the sound when you stand in a certain yoga posture and play um and i find that fascinating that actually you know um you can do a few simple tricks and the thing is is once you once you experience it you have a tool to go back to doing it again so yeah you mentioned efficiency of practice now that is that's an interesting one because I very much dealt whether many people actually practice efficiently. And I, I, I talk about efficiently in not only what we practice, how we practice, how we think about our practice, but also our body positioning when we're practicing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm big, like I'm doing, I'm doing lots of teaching online. Um, and the beauty of teaching online is I sometimes I use my lessons with people and I call them kind of I'm like let's just do some guided practice so if you think uh, and I think there's room for this and like I offer this uh, for students um, if it's something that they want like if you think traditionally we have flute lessons but we never hear how to practice we've you you never hear your teacher practicing for an hour so you don't know really what the whole thing feels like. And I've been kind of lucky because um, in the kind of years um, going to Switzerland with Sir James and also because of the internet as well, basically you get to hear him practice all the time. So anytime in between a student, if there's five minutes, he's practicing moi sonorite or his scales. But there's certain things that get communicated unconsciously about, oh, that's a nice way of approaching that. And I can, I see huge similarities with the way Sir James practices and the way the Feldenkrais method itself, how we would teach a group movement class. Um, and I can actually talk through, uh, through some of those things because I think it's really helpful. Um, one of the things is, People are often in too much of a rush to get better immediately. And they don't consider what they're doing. So, for instance, um, you... Oh, and by the way, I'll, I'll mention this now in case I forget. I During the pandemic, I set up a kind of um, a project called Flute Online, and there's links to that um, on my website. But every Tuesday, kind of fulfilling this need as well I think I started doing a class called practice with me where actually everyone joins me on zoom everyone is muted and I practice with everybody and then give a kind of a tutorial but they get to hear me practice and how to approach things but for instance um most like if somebody say the Tafanel and Gobert EJ4 most people if they're practicing that um they think they need to do the whole lot in one day. Um, they kind of just play through the notes, but nothing ever gets better. It's just a series of notes that doesn't really help the music. Whereas I tell all my students, most of my students, um, kind of intermediate students at least, but even some of the more advanced ones, like I'll say to them, okay, EJ4, just focus on C major, but sort of one flat, two flats, three flats, and just really get to know that, you know. Um, but you make up all sorts of games. The other thing is, you know, um, people, uh, people um, 
they think they need to play all of that kind of stuff exactly as it's written. And actually, I think you're you're really limiting what you can gain from it if you're doing it that way. Like it's much better. Like I I'll do it in kind of half half bars. Da 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 or da 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 da. So you make all sorts of games out of the exercises. And that's the kind of creativity that was very, very present in the Feldenkrais method, for instance. You know, it's like um, you're asked to do things in a lot of kind of varieties. Um, going slowly in the Feldenkrais method, like we'll always ask people to move, move slowly not all lessons have slow movements in, but when you're moving slowly, you get a chance to observe what you're doing. And I describe it to people like, let's say you're doing having a journey and you take this journey by car, you notice certain things along the route if you're going by car. If you go and take a bicycle, you're going to notice more. If you walk, you're going to notice even more different, uh, different, uh, different things. And um, moving slowly, say practicing with the flute, doesn't necessarily mean practicing slowly, but what it does mean is going so slow enough that you really notice all the details of what you're doing and you can um, kind of adapt and assess if this is necessary. You know, like let's say you're playing and you have a lot of kind of tension in your right shoulder. If you're continually just doing your scale practice like fast, fast the whole time without ever giving yourself the pause to kind of think and just go, okay, what's going on here? How does my shoulder feel? What's happening with the sound? These kind of tensions build up. A big thing in the method is um, taking regular rests. That's a time for the nervous system to kind of take on board the learning. When I practice, I never practice more than around 20 minutes and I set my, my goal is to be present, mindfully present, practicing for 20 minutes. And then when the alarm goes off, my success is doing that for 20 minutes. It's, my success isn't measured by how much of um, EJ4 or EJ10 that I've done. Um, and then, you know, if you say to yourself, for instance, I'm going to spend 10 minutes practicing EJ4, and whatever I bump into, I'm going to begin fixing and exploring. So it might be going through the scale and discovering your tone. You don't land on a nice tone on the top note. If you feel as if you need to do the whole um, piece, you'll kind of overlook that and nothing gets better. But if you kind of go, okay, whatever I bump into, I'm going to stop, explore, kind of improve from there. And then, you know, normally in a, in a practice session, any of these exercises, suddenly you end up playing, doing a very, very small amount of it, but you are guaranteeing that your flute playing is getting better. And I'm a bit skeptical about just um, the way people just bash through the exercises. I think the time for that is when you're very, very advanced and you want to stay in shape, which is a different thing. It's kind of almost like a maintenance rather than learning something but you're very much a person that when you see a note on the page for a lot of people that's a blob that is just a sound that you you play and then move on you regard that blob that little note as having a personality and that's what you're trying to look at isn't it the personality of each note 
Yeah, exactly. You know, um, like it, 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 there's a big, there's a big thing. Like you know, I'm I'm kind of big on the tone. Sometimes a bit, maybe too much, but the tone is important on the flute. I'd like to. I think my life's work is helping people to play with less mechanically and find out their, their own inherent musical creativity. I, I know that's what everybody wants to do, but the way I'm doing it maybe is a bit more unique in the way I employ all the stuff that I use. That people really find a way of expressing themselves through the music that's really kind of unique to each individual. So people get, um, we can get a little bit too caught up in what's on the page um we have to respect the composer we i'm going to be brave yet controversial here um <laughs> uh, we have to respect the com composer um we have to um kind of do what's written on the page but we shouldn't be a slave to it and we shouldn't be a slave to the kind of idea of the composer either a lot of people are afraid of playing things like Bach these days, because there's so many specialists have opinions on it. And I don't think that's the direction we need to be going in. Um, I play Bach the way I like it now, and I really, really don't care what opinions people have about the way I play it. The music is too good for me to play it in a way that feels kind of inauthentic to me. It, it, it's kind of, you know, it reminds me, you know, William Bennett, you know, with. Like, Wib kind of has this, uh, has a saying, like, I used to go and watch so many of his masters. I've never studied with him, but I watched so many of his master classes when I was uh, working the flute shop uh, uh, in Old Flute Bus. I'd go over, and um, he always kind of said, you know, we all kind of know how the tune goes. Like, if you get somebody to whistle, you know, whatever, Undine Sonata or something like that, or people will whistle it very similarly. It's only when we get the flute involved that things get a little bit um, kind of kind of muddled up in some ways, you know. So, like a good thing is to you know get somebody to sing or whistle the tune, and that that's a good because you're using your natural musicality then, and then the flute is just a tool. It's a kind of a, a tool to express that. So, you guys are listening are probably aware already that Niall and I will endorse everything that Niall says, is that the holistic approach will improve you, not only as a musician, because let's face it, we can all listen to musicians playing really, really fast, but it's when you hear people play slowly or when you hear them play beautifully with a personality that the hairs on the back of the neck stands up. Now, can you do that with just practising, 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 practising? I will probably go out on a limb here and say no you have to take a holistic approach you have to be aware of your body you have to be aware of that note that blob the personality of that blob but more importantly and I'm going to ask Niall to speak on this in a moment the way you breathe will also determine the nature of the music you make that's a big statement isn't it? the way you breathe because when you breathe you're not actually playing but the resonance of your chest cavity, and uh, I'm going on a limb because I actually don't know nothing about what happens with the chest cavity, and Niall's going to cover that in a moment. But I know that when I learnt to breathe properly, everything changed with me. Yep. Well, wouldn't you? The breath is the engine to what we do. You know, like the um, without the breath, the, the flute doesn't have a voice. You know, so if we know um, how to breathe. Um, 
let's just use, use the word efficiently. I say to all my students, um, and this is something for everybody who's listening to, you're going to encounter, there's more than one way of playing the flute, and you're going to encounter lots of differing opinions. It's your job to kind of fight your own way through the jungle, so to speak. Um, try out what different teachers have to say, experiment with them. I think that's a, it's something that I wish somebody showed me earlier. Um, because, you, you know, you will hear differing opinions on various things and students can get kind of into a lot of trouble um, with that. But I wanted to kind of go back about what you said and um, playing something slow and beautiful. And um, what we must need to remember is uh, that, that uh, this is a good, this is one of my sayings really, is a lot of people these days um, want to kind of, you know, play outside the box, you know, thinking outside the box kind of thing. And my challenge to that would be brilliant, you go do that. But in order to play outside the box, you need to know what's in the box first. And what's in the box, as far as I'm concerned with the flute, what does the flute do its best? The flute is synonymous with beauty. Like if you get somebody to describe the sound of the flute or why were you attracted to the flute? The word beauty comes up again and again and again. Um, and actually, you know, there's like, you know, I've kind of interests in uh, kind of esoteric things and stuff like that. And there is a um, you, there's a connection with the word beauty also and the sun, you know, which is um, I, I it's too long to go into. But just it's very interest, interesting, you know, and the sun and the radiance of the sun. I think what we must cultivate first and foremost on the flute is the ability to convey beauty and bring beauty to the world. And then when we can do that, we can do all the other stuff. But you have to be able to do what the flute does its best, you know. And that beauty of playing, you know, um, you know, Another example, like with Sir James again, you know, the, the, with the Debussy that he plays, uh, um, Danny Boy with, you know, um, that is, um, that's what we want to do. We want to be able to move an audience and it brings a flute into, like, a lot of people want to be technical and play fast, but actually developing the ability to play this, the easiest, like, if you're doing an audition and you got people to play loads and loads of um, fast pieces, you know, you get everyone to be able to do that. If you really want to test someone, you know, give them, I don't know, something like, an, even a slow Irish air, like she moved through the fair or something like that. Just something really easy and see how a person tackles that. And that shows so much more, you know, and... Um, it's something that can be developed, but it comes from, um, I, I, there's a lot of aspects to it. Um, there, it comes from kind of a connection to your innermost self and what you want to really convey in the music. It's developing a connection with the audience. And then a kind of technical aspects. I'm just, it's leading me in a bit of a tangent. If you humor me, I'll go there. If you think of the four elements, uh, so we have fire, water, air, and earth, right? 
We can link those four elements in a symbolic way to aspects of flute playing, right? So earth, we can really think of it as just the technical aspects of playing, right? So just being able to produce a sound, having, being able to play your scales, all that kind of stuff, good rhythm, good intonation, all the very mundane kind of things. Water, we can think about it, you know, maybe your emotional intent. Fire is, we could maybe say, you know, your will or your kind of personal kind of spark, so to speak, your intent. Um, what to believe about air is the intellect, the way we think about things. Now, we all come across players then that those four elements need to be in balance in order for the magic to happen. So we've all heard of somebody who's really emotional, but they don't have the technical technicalities to back it up, so it doesn't really work out. Or we can hear somebody who's really technical, but they may lack their connection to their emotions or their will, their idea of what they want to do with the piece. We can come across musicians who really overthink everything. So we can kind of hear, oh, they're thinking of the pianist mode, they're thinking of this, and it's all very thought out. And those four elements need to be brought into harmony and considering them, and I use this model with my students a lot, um, in order for the fifth element, the magic, let's say, to be present. And it's only when those four things are nicely balanced that something that seems beyond ourselves become present in the music. So that, that's a kind of a good example of how to kind of come approach that kind of stuff. I love that. I mean, that's the first time I've heard that approach and that, that way of breaking down music and our ability to communicate into the elements. That is just stunning. I just want to go back a bit about the Sir James's Danny Boy is yeah. that before I even picked up a flute, my mum, my mother, is an old, sort of an old English one. You know, you chop, chop one finger off. That doesn't matter. I've got another four. And I yeah. came downstairs. <laughs> I tell this story to everybody. I came downstairs one morning and she was in tears. And she said, listen to this. And it was Sir James playing Danny Boy on the radio. And that was the reason I started, because I wanted some of that power. I wanted to make my mum cry. I mean, I made her cry, yeah. not with my flute playing, but with many other things. But uh, the power of the communication of that flute, as you say, it's a voice. We don't have yeah. a reed. We don't have a mouthpiece. We don't, have a, uh, we don't hit anything or a string. It's our voice. And yeah. that's why when I've seen you work with your students, you concentrate on the whole, which is not necessarily the technical side. It is getting that communication and that communication yeah. via Feldenkrais methods, either via breathing or it's via NLP, by the way you're think altering the way people think and focus. It is yeah. that one approach that, as you say, it's just, it's missing in many music colleges. You, you need, when you're teaching, the, I would encourage all teachers, you need to, you really do need to believe in your students, sometimes more than they believe in themselves. And you have to have the ability to see their potential. And in the rare case that maybe you can't fully see it yet, you have to believe that it's there. And it's your job to have that come out. And the power of that alone makes you a good teacher in some ways, because we on an unconscious level can pick up on that. Like if, if, 
you know, somebody's giving you a lesson and they're, you know, I, I'll say to you, a simple example, I'll just go, okay, no, let's do this, but let's just do it much faster like this. And they look at me going, oh my God, I can't do it that way. And that exercise is for me to kind of say, I believe you can play it like that. And even if you make mistakes right now, then, okay, you've experienced it and you know your teacher believes that you'll do it. So you'll go away and practice it. All We can't lose sight of the individual who's trying to bring their voice forward, you know, and any kind of glimpse of that individual's voice, we need to kind of nurture and kind of coax out. And as you said, you're a life learner, and I'm sure you're learning from every one of your students that you that you see come through the door. Can we briefly speak about Embodied Musician and your audio courses, which can be found on your website? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I have two audio programs um, that I'm really proud of. Um, they're on my website. You can find my website. It's Nile, N-I-A-L-L, uh, flute.com or you can also find the same website um, through fluteonline.net but I have a few things there so I have my two embodied musician courses so one is uh, breath and balance and that really looks at the intimate relationship between how our posture affects our breathing it kind of looks at the organization of the rib cage in relation to the spine and actually, by you'd be surprised doing these kind of, it's like three hours of lessons and I have kind of integrated parts where you're doing some parts of the lesson with playing the flute as well. And there, there's a good kind of handbook with images of the positions. The rest of it is all audio. So that's on kind of really examining the relationship between how, we're, how we stand, our posture, um, how we relate to gravity and, or how that affects our breathing. Uh, and the other one is tone and I think it's tone and uh, jaw comfort for flute players. And that's a real fascinating one as well, because so many flute players use an awful lot of extra effort in their jaw and they don't even realize it. Like my years giving people lessons and working with flute players, I've come to a kind of conclusion that a lot of the time when people have, like you can even do it now, if you really clench your jaw, you would feel echoes, echoes of it down your neck, even into your shoulders, right? A lot of flute players get into trouble with maybe neck pain or shoulder pain. And actually the origin of it is how they're organizing their jaw. And softening up this area can really soften up other kind of areas in ourselves. It's, the, the lessons are basically kind of jaw lessons, lip lessons. It's not just moving of the jaw, movement of the tongue. And that, all of those lessons, you, you know, you'll do a lesson and I would be shocked if you did a lesson and didn't, on either one of these and didn't play the flute and for the flute to sound better. So, and you know, there's something that you can kind of go over and revisit again and again. And um, the interesting thing with the, the jaw one as well is that um, the jaw, all, like a lot of the facial mu muscles are kind of connected into the parasympathetic uh, part of the nervous system, particularly the vagus nerve which is, can really kind of help regulate kind of feelings of stress and anxiety. So like any of the, you know, if you think when we get stressed, one of the first things that happens is kind of going into the jaw. So there's a real relaxing benefit from that. The other work that would be useful to tell you about is I, at the beginning of the pandemic, I started a class, um, I started a whole project called Flute Online. 
um, where I I haven't given a workshop in a while, but when I am, they'll be on, up on my website so people can check that out. I gave Feldenkrais workshops connected with flute playing. But what I did was set up this class. It's every Tuesday, quarter past five UK time. And it's a half an hour. It's, the class is called Practice With Me. You can find the sign up on my website. And I do a kind of spontaneous class of um, people practicing along with me. And um, we have a kind of a core group of people. So it's kind of grown really into a community. And I've been offering that free since the beginning of the pandemic without fail every Tuesday. And, you know, I get so many nice comments and letters of people saying the highlight of their week and um, how just the regularity of, you know, having something to do every week was really helpful. And after a year of that, I so many people were asking for recordings of classes that they missed. So I set up a Patreon page. And so the Patreon, I've uh, divided into kind of three tiers. So the first tier, it's, I call it a nickel uh, tier and it's um, six pounds a month. And that's all archive recordings going quite a way back now of all the practice with me's and everything is tagged. So, you know, if you want to kind of see what I have to say about tone or posture, you can kind of go in and do that. For £10 a month, the Silver membership has all the um, content from the previous one, so all the practice with me's. And then also I create a, spe a, a special flute tutorial once a month. And then the Gold tier is um, includes all of what I've just mentioned. And the Gold tier, I also include specially recorded Feldenkrais lesson for flute players. Um, and these are all downloads, so you can download and keep them on your device. And um, that's included, one of them every month. I've actually added, as a kind of being a little bit more generous, I've added a lot, much more Feldenkrais lessons in that tier from previous projects that I've done, some public classes to kind of, you know, have the resource um, kind of full for people getting involved in that. So it's a good way for people to really learn with me and you know like the you know even if you go for the silver tier it's like literally if you attend the half an hour class it's like less than a cup of coffee basically so um and you know i've, I've a, a good number of people involved in this and supporting me and i'm really happy like it helps me keep it um like part of the project is the more people can support me doing this work the more i can keep it free you know, and I do want to bring, uh, like, have more free time to be able to maybe kind of build up my YouTube channel a little, little bit as well and have more free resources for people there. What Patreon page um, is it? Is it entitled Nile Flute or is it entitled? Um, it, uh, so it's basically patreon.com forward slash flute online and gotcha. all, all the information is there. Um, and another project to work, watch out for me, um, working with as well, is um, I got together, and I'm really, really excited about this. I think it's going to go in great directions. Um, got together with two of my uh, Feldenkrais method colleagues, um, uh, Emma and uh, Anita. Emma is a, a violin and viola player, and Anita is a singer, and she also plays French horn. And we um, decided we wanted to do, um, it started with a very in-depth Feldenkrais course for musicians, specifically for musicians. And we did one early on in the pandemic, and we did it for four, year, uh, for, four years, that would be long, four, four days. 
it's basically it's a real immersive courses we did four days now um we're kind of sticking to two days and we're even thinking just doing one day ones um what's really good about that is just the, the with the feldenkrais method it's so broad all of us as practitioners bring such different flavors you know being musicians and feldenkrais practitioners to you know performing and we have instrumentalists and singers from all over the world and also different genres we were like we didn't want to limit it to just classical music um and what the way it works fantastically is like we do a lot of you know you'll do some feldenkrais you know it might be a lesson on relaxing the shoulder blades softening the shoulders and then we do part of the lesson we call it integrating which is everyone stays muted, but then they get up with their instrument. And as a practitioner, we talk them through how to bring what they've learned in the lesson directly into their playing and stuff like that. You can either you can find us on Facebook at Ask Well Musician. That's the handle there. But actually, you can find links to that on my website as well when we have a course. I normally list it there. Niall, you know, this is turning into a really long podcast. And I, what cheeses me off, sometimes I'll speak to somebody and just not want to stop because, yeah. you know, I, I thoroughly respect you as a guy, but also how you teach and the information you impart because you're, you're only desire is to improve the well-being of an individual and their desire to convey music to an audience so i'm sure and i'm really really sure on this one that people are going to want you back in the future because there's we've only just touched on so many areas that you're 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 knowledgeable at oh well well thank you so much yeah i i'm irish so i can talk a lot as well so that that probably helps <laughs> helps or hinders i don't know but yeah there's, like there's loads you know there's lots of things we didn't even kind of touch on and things like maybe another time we can speak about things like meditation because i know that's an interest yeah. of yours but they're all kind of you know all tools to help the individual to reach their potential i think that's not in music just in life that's our goal is to be the best person we can be bring the best of us to the world and because of that, in a small way, we, we make the world a better place, I think. And, I the, hope. and the beauty and joy of you is your happiness is bound up in the happiness of others um, rather than the self uh, and the ego. And, you know, I salute you, sir, for that. Oh, thank you so much. And let's meet up for coffee and a cake next time I'm in London. Oh, it'd be brilliant. I'd love to. I'm really looking forward to trying the wooden Trevor James flute, actually. Um, as soon as we have one, I, that's going to be coming over, sir. Yeah, yeah. It looks really great. Congratulations on it. I, I'm, I think it looks fantastic. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So thank you very much to Niall for coming on today and imparting such wisdom and knowledge. And also, thank you to you all for listening. Keep sending in your flute or even non-flute related questions to Claire and I at flutepodcasts at gmail.com or via our Facebook page, Talking Flutes. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to Talking Flutes podcast on whatever podcast channel you are listening to this. So until next week, wishing you a wonderful week ahead in whatever you've got planned or happen upon doing. May you be musically fulfilled and may your middle C be especially resonant. Goodbye.
Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.